A very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is your Sunday podcast, courtesy of Synthesis Technologies. It is May the 10th. It is Mother's Day, and we wish uh, all moms out there all the best uh, for the day, and especially this year when you have worked so tirelessly to keep it all together. I hope you're getting a good break. This uh, morning, we're chatting, of course, as we do to Dr. Anton Myberg. He's a COVID-19 specialist. He is a pulmonologist and a physician. Anton, uh, thank you for taking the time away from your family to chat to us. This is our ninth podcast. It absolutely amazes me every week that uh, we have been doing this now for nine weeks. Good morning. How are we doing? The numbers have um, increased quite substantially. What does this all mean to you? Good morning. And firstly, I'd like to wish my own mother happy Mother's Day. And my mother understands that I can't say today because I'm social distancing and I'm keeping away from her because she's isolated because of her comorbidities and her age, and I send her lots of love and have a happy Mother's Day. Currently, we are sitting on 4 million cases worldwide, with 280,000 deaths and 1.4 million people recovered. The United States are topping the bill at 1.3 million cases, and they're sitting on 80,000 deaths. South Africa is now sitting on 9,420 cases with 186 deaths, and there have been over 320,000 tests done in the country. The Western Cape is our epicenter with 4,809 cases, and Gauteng are sitting on 1,910 cases at the moment. You'll see that over the last 24 to 48 hours, the numbers have screamed up. So 600 the day before, and yesterday that was over 500. So the numbers are going up quite dramatically, and this itself is also due to the fact that we are testing far more at the moment. We're definitely not at our ultimate testing goal, which is would be about 20 to 30,000 a day, but the numbers are going up slowly but surely. The, the, we've got a lot to go through, and it's, it's quite varied this morning. So let's just start off with the whole exercise thing. We spoke about it last week. I know you went out for your run this morning. Just uh, tell us where we're at as far as that is concerned and what we should be doing. So yeah, I'm actually flabbergasted what I see on the roads at the moment. Uh, it's, it's very easy to keep social distancing on the road. If you wanna run with somebody else, go for it, run with somebody else, but make sure they're on the other side of quite a far distance away from you. Wear your buff, wear your mask. If your eyes fog up, your glasses fog up because of the running, you can put a tissue under your buff and change it every so often. That will help with that. But to see people in groups of four, five, six running together, some with masks, some without masks, it's just negligence. Pure negligence what we're seeing at the moment. People have to look after themselves. And not only look after themselves, they could look after the people around them. We've got a social responsibility. If we are out on the roads, look after everybody. All right, so uh, please be aware of that. Please be responsible. And whether we agree with a six to nine exercise restriction, that's the law. Let's adhere to it and let's uh, try and get through that. A strange question uh, from, uh, from Baruch said uh, he wants to know what to do about a beard. There are people that have beards for fashion. There are religious Jews who this time of year in particular don't shave. Some never shave. There's, uh, there's Muslim uh, tradition not to, not to shave as well. The, the, in terms of wearing a mask, is a beard problematic? So the answer is yes. You'll notice my beard is much thinner than it normally is. Normally at this time of year, I've got a much thicker beard, but I have shaved multiple times to try and keep it thinner. It definitely does decrease the, the working of the mask if you've got a thick beard. Especially if you've got a very thick beard, you put your mask on, there's no seal. You can't create a seal with a very thick beard. 
most medical professionals, religious medical professionals who are working on the front line are shaving their beards. Whether they're making them thinner or cutting them shorter, they're still shaving their beards. So it is a problem if you're working on the front line. All right. Uh, the other issue that uh, that a lot of people are, are messaging us about, uh, Brad, thank you for, for your message, is the correlation between low or, or deficient vitamin D and uh, people who are either contracting COVID or becoming very ill around it. Can you talk to us through that? So, so you must remember that vitamin D is an immune modulator. And there's an association between decreased or low levels of vitamin D and your susceptibility to a respiratory tract infection. You know, the Scandinavian countries where there's not much sunlight, they all take vitamin D supplements. And yes, the numbers are a bit low at the moment, but people who are sick, extremely sick with COVID, we are giving vitamin D too because of the immune modulation. It helps with your white cell counts and it also helps preventing release of what we call inflammatory cytokines. So there's a big role of vitamin D in this COVID period. And you should be taking vitamin D on a daily basis. You recommend a daily allowance. Just because we live in South Africa and we're exposed to sun doesn't mean we get enough sun. Especially now during lockdown, you only get six to nine o'clock. And even then seven o'clock, the sun comes up. You're not getting the adequate amount of sun that you need. The other thing is people are scared to go in the sun because of melanomas. So it's a catch, you know, you can't get the best mm -hmm. of both worlds. So if you are worried, you should take some supplemental vitamin D. Is, are, are, is all vitamin D uh, supplements, are they all born equally? Uh, are they all the so same? So there's different strengths. There's 100, there's 1,000, there's a, a weekly one, something called Calcifera, which is 50,000 international units. Take a regular daily vitamin D supplement that you can use on a daily basis. All right, and how many milligrams would that be? Anything from 100 to 1,000 international units or 10 okay. to 20 micrograms a day. Right, so that's what you've got to look at, take it every day and, uh, and forget about it. What about vitamin C? Vitamin C has been linked to also a decrease in mortality in patients who are extremely ill. Look, the point of the matter is that we get all of our vitamins in a good diet. So if you've got a good diet, you're having enough vegetables, you're having enough fruit, you're having everything that you need, then it shouldn't be an issue with the amounts of vitamins that you're taking in. But it's not going to harm you to have extra vitamin C during the day either. The worst case scenario, you'll excrete it through your urinary tract. Right. Rolina wants to know, can Dr. Marburg clarify the difference between finding antibodies that are a significant breakthrough to an actual vaccine? I have received so many, yay, Israel has discovered the cure messages. So it, it is very confusing. It is very confusing. And an antibody is not a cure. An antibody is a treatment that can be used to treat an infection. So then if you've got COVID-19 and you get convalescent plasma, let's say, which has got the antibodies in it, it can treat that infection at that time. The difference between the antibody and the vaccine is the vaccine gives you immunity for a longer period of time and for a later stage. The vaccine allows you to build up your own antibodies to fight against the infection. Whereas giving somebody an antibody treatment, because that's what it is, is a treatment. For example, someone with a varicella or someone with chickenpox gets a chickenpox immunoglobulin, which is an antibody. They get treated. It doesn't mean they're forming new antibodies. And that's why the vaccine is so much better and so much more important to have, because we want to form antibodies to enable us to get this herd immunity. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, Kawasaki disease? We're starting to hear this uh, coming out of the United States, especially with regard to children. Yeah, so just is, be careful so of what you share on, on the news. Yeah, should we be panicking? 
just be careful. First of all, it's a very, very small cohort of, of young children. And they're not calling it Kawasaki disease. They're calling it Kawasaki-like disease. So, so what actually is Kawasaki? Kawasaki is an inflammation of your blood vessels, normally the medium-sized blood vessels. It's called the vasculitis. It generally occurs in young children. Children present with a fever, a rash, a strawberry type of, of tongue. They get swelling of their hands and feet, redness of their hands and feet. Now, the people who they're saying are associated with COVID-19 and Kawasaki is, as I said, an extremely small cohort. Not all of them have got respiratory infections. Not all of them have tested positive for COVID-19. So it's still in its infancy. It's still, you know, people are still just throwing things wherever they can to try and link causalities to certain things. It's too early to say. Remember, Kawasaki is not contagious. COVID-19 is contagious. Kawasaki doesn't present with respiratory tract infection. COVID-19 does present with cough and uh, respiratory infection. The only mm. type of sort of sublink you've got is you've got the fever, you can have the sore throat, but you don't get red hands and red feet with COVID-19. Right, so, so it isn't something that we need to be overly concerned about here in South Africa. I don't think at this point in time we've got to worry about it, but we've got to be aware about it. Mm, mm. Uh, there's a lot of questions for you around the economy, which is really not, not your field. No. Why are you laughing? Um, I'm not an economist in motion. Uh, All right, you're not I an economist. I can't give election. people fair and just answers on the economy. But in fact, what you can give us is fair and just answers uh, medically. So let, let's look at it this way. There's a lot of talk around whether this lockdown, you know, we're entering into week six, week seven of lockdown. Wuhan was locked down for eight weeks. China was, uh, Italy was locked down for nine weeks. We're almost at the longest period of any lockdown. Cases are still increasing. We certainly haven't reached our peak, but we have flattened the curve to the extent that the last six or seven weeks has given the medical environment significant time to be able to get ready, which I believe that they, they, they have done. If you were medically, and I'm not talking economically, and I'm not talking uh, politically, if you were medically had to suggest a way forward, what would it be? So to me, I think that the best medical forward case scenario would be allowing people to go back to work like we're doing, mm -hmm. but not allowing the full workforce, keeping your elderly, your 65-year-olds at home and allowing younger people to mingle more. So let children go back to school. Okay? We obviously got to continue with the social distancing, the hand washing, taking care between moving desks apart and not allowing people to congregate together in big congregations, no prayer, prayer sessions, things like that. But let the economy start building again from a medical and economic point of view because we need it. You know, we can't stay in lockdown forever. It would be wonderful from a medical point of view, but it also wouldn't be because then we're not going to develop our herd immunity. And we need to start developing some immunity. So yes, as hard as it is to hear, we do need some people to get infected because we need them to start building up antibodies. It's the same as influenza. We don't close off the world because of influenza. Yes, coronas are far more virulent and far more infective type of virus, but eventually you've got to get back to the normality of the world. And although the world we're going back to is not a completely normal world, I want to see those uni unicorns. I want to see those rainbows. So we've got to get going in that direction. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, one of, uh, one of the listeners said, is there any good news? There is good news. I, I think we are going in, in the right direction. If we look at current sort of trends for our country, 
compared to other countries at this stage of the infection, we're still much lower than other countries. We're much lower than the United States were. We're much lower than China, Italy, and Spain were. So we're definitely on a much lower trend, although we are seeing high numbers. And maybe one of the reasons we're seeing high numbers is because a lot of people in formal settlements are getting infected now as well and starting to spread the virus. But once again, that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing because 95 to 98% of the population will get a very, very mild affectation of the virus. Do we have any further news on the impact of the BCG vaccine? Trials are being done. They're doing trials in Stellenbosch, Tigerberg, a few other places. We're waiting for those trials to come out. So, uh, so that's because anecdotally, it certainly, I was speaking to somebody yesterday whose uh, daughter uh, was uh, tested positive in New York for COVID-19. The family that she's living with, Americans, uh, all were tested positive as well. They were quite ill, whereas she would not even have known that she had it. And we are seeing these stories over and over again. Look, we're hoping. It's definitely what we want to hear. It's definitely what we, we need to hear. But we won't be able to comment fully on this until we get a proper study out there. If it does work, it's going to be groundbreaking. And uh, we are seeing at the moment, as I say, that we haven't had a major influx of patients. I mean, if you look at it, 9,000 9, cases is not a lot of cases. I mean, when you look okay. at the mortality rates from influenza and the amount of people that get sick, I mean, there's only 400 people in hospitals. You know, there's only a, not even more than 100 people on ventilators. There's less than 100 people on ventilators. There's about 60 in ICU, 40 in high care. So it's very widely spread around the country. And yes, we are seeing epicenters growing. They are doing more testing and we hope to find more infections. And the reason why we want to find more infections is because those people then can be isolated. Mm. Is there an understanding in your mind why Cape, the Cape, Western Cape, is so much higher than the rest of the country? Why they're the epicenter? My, my only thought process is that the informal settlements are a lot closer to the cities than they are over here. Mm. That's the only thing I can work out. And mm. A lot more people mm. maybe are getting tested there as well than are getting tested here in Joburg. So maybe that's right. the reason. Another question from, uh, from one of our listeners is, what are Dr. Myberg's thoughts regarding anti-inflammatory medication and the virus? We know in the beginning we were told anti-inflammatories were problematic. We have discussed it over the last few weeks. What is the latest research or the latest finding about anti-inflammatories? So there's still nothing conclusive. That study came from France. At this point in time, any critical care specialist or any ICU specialist does not use anti-inflammatories in patients who are in ICU from a whole host of reasons, from the fact that we don't want to dampen the immunity response and we don't want to affect their kidneys and that type of thing. So don't take anti-inflammatories if you don't have to. That's the point. There's lots of side effects from anti-inflammatories. It can cause lots of damage. Rather stay away from them. The, the treatment of choice for your fever at this point in time would be paracetamol or Panado. Uh, Ansan says, uh, thank you. I'm so grateful for this informative interview. Please, can you tell me what cytokines are and what is a cytokine storm? If someone is ill with COVID-19 and then recovers, this is the next part of the same question, can they be left or will they be left with permanent damage? So cytokines are proteins that are secreted by your immune system. They regulate your immune system and they allow you to fight off a foreign substance. An example of those are something like interleukin-6 or interferon. What you get is something called a cytokine release storm, which is actually a systemic inflammatory response syndrome, where there's a large number of white cell counts that are activated, and they release these cytokines into your blood system. So it's basically a hyperactive immune reaction that has gone wild. And the problem with that 
is that when it goes overactive or hyperimmune, it starts attacking your healthy tissue and doing damage to your healthy tissue. And that generally happens in people who are more than acutely ill, but people who are critically ill in ICU or in hospital. They present with fevers, they present with seizures, they can present with comas, they can present with kidney problems. And the way we check for it is we look at certain bloods, we look at the interleukin-6 levels, we look at the ferritin levels, we look at the C-reactive protein levels. There's a whole host of ways to check for that type of, of problem and try and treat it. Can there be lasting damage from it? Yes, there can be if you've got a hyperimmune or hyperactive immune reaction with your cytokine release storm. And that's when you're in ICU, we try and prevent you from getting kidney damage, from getting liver damage and all those type of things. Peter Cross Mondo wants to know, if you go for a test, will it only tell you if you have the virus and uh, then and there, or can it also tell you if you are, have recovered from the virus? Is there a way of testing if people have had the virus and recovered? I imagine this is absolutely critical. Yeah, so the tests we're doing now, PRC, polymerase chain reaction tests, okay, PCRs, okay, that basically shows that if you've got the virus or not, we don't have the antibody tests at this point in time. We're waiting for the antibody tests. There are a lot of antibody tests on the market, but they're not sensitive or specific enough to give you answers. In other words, they give you a lot of false positives and a lot of false negatives. You don't want a false positive result. In other words, telling you that you've got the disease when you don't, and you don't want a false negative result telling you when you don't have the disease if you mm. do. So we're waiting for these antibody tests that need to be 99 to 100% sensitive and specific to come into the country. I've seen recently Roche has developed one and we're hoping that's going to come here soon. Um, but those tests are very important because those will tell us if you've got those, as we discussed before, the IgM and IgG antibodies to see if you've had a reaction and from the virus itself. So if right. you test, let's say, IgG negative, it means you don't have antibodies to the virus. Is there, are there different strains? You know, a lot of the, the talk out there is, well, maybe South Africa's got a, a weaker strain, or maybe, you know, there's something different about COVID-19 that's come our way. What is there's the definitely something different about COVID-19 in Africa. There's no doubt about it. what it is. We do not know at this point in time. And please, God, it continues to stay different. Whether do, it's do, a different strain it, or different mutation, we don't know. Or is it a different okay, Because that's important, okay? Because, mm. you know, we, we, we don't think it's mutated, okay? So it might be an easier type of strain that's come through, but we don't know per se yet. We, there's still so much groundworking, groundbreaking work to be done to work out what exactly is going on here. They've got to isolate so many more genes and so many other things to work out exactly what is going on there. Right. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for. I'm Howard Feldman for the Synthesis podcast. It is our Sunday podcast. Every Sunday at this time, I chat to Dr. Anton Mayberg. He's a, a physician, pulmonologist, and COVID-19 expert. Any last uh, thoughts that you want to share with us? That sounds a bit final. But uh, it, it, any last uh, thoughts you want to share with us for this particular podcast? Um, I suspect you might want to go back to the running story. I think even more than that, I think just don't become complacent. You know, we've got to all stick together. We're protecting ourselves and we're protecting each other. These are very difficult times. We can't be with our family. We can't be with our friends. We can't be with our grandparents. It's extremely difficult times. No one says it's easy. It's hard on a medical point of view. It's hard on a financial, economic point of view. But just hang in there. I'm still holding out for our unicorns. I'm still holding out for our rainbows and they're going to come. So hang in there. God bless and happy Mother's Day to everybody. 
Thank you, Dr. Anton Amarberg. I'm Howard Feldman for the Synthesis Podcast. Have a fantastic day, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Same time, same place. God bless. <laughs>